Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. And here's what we pray today. As we open up your word where we are today, we're asking you to open up our hearts, our minds, our ears. Help us to see, hear, and understand the things that you'd want to share with us. Lord, we want to have your view. We want to see things the way that you see them. And so we're asking you, Lord, today to reveal to us the things that you'd want to say. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, if you are new to Calvary, one of the things that you'll find here at Calvary is, is that we teach the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse. So what we'll do is we'll take a book of the Bible, we've been in Matthew, and we will start at the beginning and we'll begin teaching as we go through. We find ourselves here in Matthew 24 today. And the reason that we do this is, um, if you're like me, I grew up in the church and so I'd come to church every week and the pastor would say, turn to this passage. And so I turned to that passage and next week, turn to another passage. And so we'd be kind of all over the Bible, which is good. But uh, you never really got the sense of what the entire Bible is all about. So it's sort of like if we decided that we wanted to read the book War and Peace. And uh, we were to come together and say, we're going to do this every week. So this week, let's turn to page 150. And we read a couple of passages there, a couple paragraphs. Next week, come together and we say, all right, turn to page 300. Next week, page 600. We went back and forth. We have some good insights maybe, but we'd never really get a sense of what the entire book is about. So here at Calvary, in order to get a sense of what it's about, we would go chapter by chapter and verse by verse through books of the Bible. Now one of the things that that does is it allows us to cover all all of the subjects in the Bible. Not just the ones that we really like to talk about, but all of the subjects. And so we find ourselves in Matthew 24, and Matthew 24 is in this gospel, 24 and 25, Jesus is talking about this time period that you and I would call the end times. And so we've been looking at that. So as we come together, this is going to be Jesus' final teaching in the last week of his ministry on the earth before he goes to the cross. This is his final teaching which he's going to give to his disciples. And it began in chapter 24. Jesus had said some things about the temple being destroyed and um, which took place in 70 AD. And I put there on your outline, it says in verse 3 of chapter 24, you can read on your outline or in, in your Bible, But the disciples came to him privately, and I've underlined that word privately, saying, tell us when will these things happen? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So there's a couple of things that we've talked about before just by way of review. Jesus is going to give, and I want you to write this down, a private briefing. This is not something that he shares uh, like he did with the Sermon on the Mount where there's a larger crowd. This is private. This is uh, to his disciples gives a private briefing to his disciples to answer their three questions. And their three questions are, when will these things happen? What is the sign of your coming? And what is the end of the age? And Jesus will take two chapters to answer those three questions. So as we began this several weeks ago, we've actually been in chapter 24 for a few weeks. Uh, We're going to cover the last part, then jump into chapter 25 next week. But we noticed something that when they ask, what's the sign of your coming and the end of the age, Jesus does not respond by saying, why do you care about that? I mean, that's not important. You know, it all pans out in the end. Just, you know, there's so many other things to focus in on. Jesus responds to their three questions in verse four by saying, And Jesus answered and said to them, see to it that no one 
misleads you. The idea is that he's very emphatic. He says, I'll explain it to you, but you're responsible to understand it. See to it that no one misleads you. And so he takes chapters 24 and 25 to answer their three questions. So we began, as we started this chapter, Jesus gave an overview. And you'll recall back in verse 8 that he said, but all these things are merely the beginning of the birth pangs. And we took that week to talk about how pregnancy, uh, when a woman gets pregnant, the, the pregnancy is very long, but at a certain time, labor kicks in. And that's described as birth pangs. And all of a sudden, things start happening very quickly. So the contractions become closer and closer together and more and more intense. And so we talked about those birth pangs that Jesus talked about. By the way, have you noticed that the volcano in Hawaii is still erupting? It's been over three months. I, I don't remember ever seeing something like that happen. But you know, those are the things that you'll see with, with more and more frequency. Well, then he became, he went all the way through giving an overview for 2,000 years, and then he began to answer very specifically what is the sign of his coming. And so we saw in verse 32, as he began to get very specific, he said, now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. And so in that week, we talked about how in the Bible, the, the fig tree, when it's used as a symbol, is always a reference to the nation of Israel. And uh, Jesus talked about how when that you see that begin to come back to life again, you're going to know that it's very close. As a matter of fact, verse 33 says, so you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near right at the door. And, and we, we made mention that Israel is the only country on the planet in the history of the world that existed as a nation, but in 70 AD ceased to be a nation and was not a nation for almost 2,000 years. But in 1948, after almost 2,000 years, Israel becomes a nation again. And Jesus says, when you see that, when you see that fig tree come back to life, and we talked about how the Bible talks about from the Old Testament, the New Testament, how Israel in the last days would come back to life. Ezekiel 36, 37, Isaiah 11, we, we, we talked about those things. But then Jesus said something else as he's answering their question, what's the sign of your coming and the end of the age? He says, when you see that fig tree begin to bud again, come back to life. Verse 34, he says, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. That is the generation that sees Israel become a nation again. And uh, if you have a Bible program, go home and, and look up that verse and you'll see where it says this generation. The word this that we translate in our Bibles, this can, can be translated as either this or that. So it equally can say that generation will not pass away. And that's the way that we would, would hold that. The generation that sees that. They are asking, what's the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So he says, well, when you see that fig tree. Well, then after that, he went and he gave a little bit more information. He says, verse 37, he says, for the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. And so there we talked about what was it like in the days of Noah that Jesus says it would be just the same. And what we saw is that it talked about the genetic manipulation. It talked about altering the DNA. This is the only generation since that generation where those things have taken place. 
And he talked about how violence would cover the earth, is what it says in, in, in the days of Noah. That something was happening worldwide. There was an increase of violence. You know, you and I live in the only generation where we can see an increase of violence, but we can see it happening around the world. A hundred years ago, there could be an increase of violence anywhere in the world. We wouldn't know it, but we live in the first generation that sees it and can actually watch and see it actually happening. But then in verse 38, he says, um, he says, for as in the days before Noah and the, or before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And so we talked about in, in that time how uh, although these things would be going on, these birth pangs and things like that, but it would be business as usual. Like people would be getting married, building, planting, normal stuff, but it would, it would continue to increase. Um, but business as usual in an unusual time. But then at the end of that generation, there is an event. And we saw that last time in verse 40. And in verse 40 it says, Then there will be two men in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. There will be two women grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one will be left. And so we talked about that event that we commonly refer to as the rapture and uh, how the Bible talks about that in the New Testament, the Old Testament, and points to that at the end of that generation. So we, we went through that as Jesus is answering their questions, what's the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Well, we're going to pick it up as Jesus is answering their questions. We're going to pick it up in the very next verse, but, but the one thing that we need to all understand in chapter 24 and 25, it's all one teaching, and Jesus is talking about the, the sign of his coming and the end of the age. So everything is going to point to his coming. So if you would take just a little journey with me, verse 42, he says, therefore be on the alert, you do not know which day your Lord is coming. So we, we talked about that, we'll talk about that today. Verse 48, he says, but if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time. Again, somebody is coming, somebody's not aware of it. If you go to chapter 25, verse 6, at midnight there was a shout, behold the bridegroom, come out to meet him. The idea is somebody showed up and not the time that everybody was... Uh, expecting. Verse 14, he says, for it would be just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. Somebody's going away. Verse 19 of chapter 25, after a long time the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So somebody came back. Verse 31, he says, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory. And so the idea is that this is all answering their three questions. What's the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So far so good? Have I put you to sleep yet? All right, well this will do it. So, so we're going to pick it up today in verse 42. And the big question here, as always, is what do you leave in and what do you leave out? And so I, I, I want to give enough that we get the understanding, but there's so much more that we could talk about. Every one of us in this, in the re, I, there's a side of me that wanted to kind of skip over this, this passage and just kind of move on. But as we go through this, Jesus is going to give a very strong opinion. He's going to say some very strong things. And every one of us has to decide whether we hold his opinion or another opinion. And I'm going to suggest to you that many people, based upon what we're going to talk about today, hold a very different opinion 
Let that not be you. You always want to have the opinion of Jesus. Make sense? So as we jump in, we're going to pick it up in verse 42. 42, it says, therefore, be on the alert. You do not know which day, some of your Bibles say hour, the Lord is coming. Now, he says, you don't know the day. Notice he doesn't say, you don't know the generation. He's already told us that. That would be when the fig tree comes back to life. Israel becomes a nation. So you're not going to know the day. You're not going to know the hour. So my Bible says in verse 42, it says, therefore, be on the alert. I like how most of your Bibles say it. They say it a little bit different. There in your outline, it'll use the term. It'll say, watch therefore. How many of your Bibles have the word watch in verse 42? Good. I like that one a little bit more. Underline the word watch. For you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. So the point that I want to make there is, is that when Jesus says, watch therefore, Jesus is giving a command, not a suggestion. And you want to write that down. In verse 4, when they asked about the sign of his coming and the end of his age, he's very emphatic and he says, see to it that you are not misled. Here in verse 42, he gives another command and he says, watch. We need to be watching. Verse 43 and 44, he says, he says, but be sure of this, if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and he would not have allowed, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour when you do not think that he will. Again, not generation, just an hour that you don't think. There on your outline, I put verse 43 again, because I like how it says it in most of your Bibles. If the master of the house had known what hour the thief would have come, he would have watched. And uh, if you have the word watched in your Bible, I like that word more. So here, here's the part that uh, we need to, to get. If you're, gonna, if you're told to watch, if you're told to watch for something, and you want to write this down, if you're told to watch, to watch, we have to know what to look for. If you don't know what to look for, you know, you're just kind of like looking around, but you're not really watching. The reason that Jesus says watch is because in the first part of this chapter, he gave the things that you and I are supposed to be watching for. Supposed to be watching for the birth pangs that would increase and become more and more intense. Israel would become a nation again. The things that he talked about in the days of Noah would be taking place in that generation. You can't tell somebody to watch and not tell them what to watch for. So he's laid all that out for us. So some uh, are, are not watching, and uh, because they're not watching, what we're going to find is that when this happens, it's going to catch them very much like the thief in the night. They're going to be surprised, and it's going to really catch them off guard. But that's not how it's supposed to be for you and I as we watch the things that the Bible talks about rather specifically. Paul would say it like this there in your outline. You want to underline some of these things. There in your outline he says, now while they are saying peace and safety. By the way, it's going to be in a generation where the emphasis is going to be on peace and safety. Would you say that that would describe our generation We really want peace and safety because we don't really feel like we have it. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them. You want to underline them. Suddenly, like birth pangs upon a woman with child. And they shall not escape. So you have the they and the them. But you 
That's different than they and them. Brethren, underline that, are not in darkness that the day should overtake you like a thief. Everybody see that? For you are all sons of the light. So you have this event that's going to take place, a time where the emphasis is on peace and safety, talking about they and them, but it's going to catch them off guard. They're not looking at these things. But you, brethren, you're not like them. You're you're supposed to understand these things so that it doesn't catch you off guard. Well, Jesus commands that we be watching in verse 42. Verse 43, he says, but be sure that the head of the house had known what time of night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert. And Jesus has showed us what we are to be watching for, and we've talked about those things. And, and so based upon him telling us to watch and be ready, he's now going to tell us about two types of servants. Uh, there's going to be the faithful and wise servant, and then he's going to call another one who is the evil servant. So let's see what he has to say. Verse 45, he says, who then is the faithful and sensible, some of your Bibles say wise, I like that translation more, faithful and wise servant whom his master put in charge of his household. So somebody's been put in charge of the master's household to give them their food at the proper time. My Bible says proper time. How many of your Bibles say due season? Okay, we're going to talk about that. Either way, it's good. I like due season more. Blessed is that servant whom his master finds so doing when he comes. And we're going to talk about what is the so doing. Well, there on your outline, I put verse 45 again, just because I like how it says it better. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Jesus is the master of the household. And uh, he's going to go away and he's putting some in charge over the household, and they have a responsibility. And what we find in that responsibility is part of their responsibility is to give food to the other servants. Uh, We would say his household is spiritual, and so he's entrusted certain people, his servants, and uh, they are to give spiritual food. But you notice he says to give food in at the proper time or in their due season, in the due season. So the idea is that the servants are supposed to, the wise servant is supposed to be able to give the proper food in the due season. The idea is this is what the other servants need at this time. The word there, due season, I put it there in your outline, uh, kairos just means a set or proper time or in due season. Jesus is the master. He has a spiritual house. He's put certain people who have an administration, an oversight. Uh, we all do. We're either leading uh, you know, a denomination, a church, a, a family, whatever it is, but we all have that. And the expectation as he's put us in charge that we're able to give that food, that spiritual food that is appropriate in a certain season. You and I live in a very unique season. So the so doing in verse 46, he says, blessed is that servant whom his master finds so doing. Well, based upon the context here, the so doing uh, is very simply there in your outline, go ahead and write this down, is actively watching for the master's return, you know what to watch for, and sharing about it. That's giving the, the food, 
the spiritual food in the due season. This is the time to talk about this. You and I live in a very unique generation based upon what the Bible says. And also what we're going to find, and you want to write this down, is that watching for his coming and sharing about it leads to a special reward. Verse 47, truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. One of the things that you find in the Bible is constantly there is this sense of blessing for those who will be looking at the prophecies and discerning when the master is returning uh, because he's laid it all out. And so here he says, as you do that, you'll be put in charge of all his possessions. In the book of Revelation, now how many of you have ever heard that the book of Revelation is hard to understand? But au contraire, say we. Yeah, so we've, we, we've heard that. So, so here's the thing. In the book of Revelation, which is all about the end times, it opens up. Chapter 1, verse 3, notice what it says. There in your outline, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy that is speaking of the book of Revelation and heed the things which are written in it. It would be very strange for us to believe in a God who says, I will bless you if you read it. I want you to hear it, but I also want you to heed the things that are written in it. But here's the thing, you'll never understand it. That'd be very odd for us to believe in a God like that. However, you and I live in a day where many people would say the book of Revelation is hard to understand, and so they completely shy away. Jesus says, no, there's a blessing for that. I'll bless you if you do that. But you see that blessing attached throughout the Bible to those who take the time to look at the prophecies. So the reward then, when he returns in verse 46, blessed is that servant whom his master finds so doing when he comes, truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. So when the master comes back, the reward is being placed over all the possessions. Now here's why this is so important. There is no verse in your Bible where it talks about heaven where you and I get angel wings, we become angels, we sit on clouds, and we play harps. Anybody get excited for that? Not me. Maybe electric guitar, but not not a harp. (laughs) But that's not heaven. All references about heaven, when you and I go there, have to deal with, and I want you to write this, to have to do with leadership and administration. Uh, being over something, over all the possessions. It's, it's giving oversight. Uh, there in your outline from the book of Revelation, it says, you've made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they will reign on the earth. And he's talking about in the future, God has leadership, administration. The things that you and I do here have an impact on what we do there. So that's the reward. So that's the wise servant. He's looking at these things. He's not caught off guard like a thief in the night. That's the wise, faithful and wise servant. But then there is another servant. Now this servant we're going to call the evil servant. I'm not, but Jesus is. Verse uh, 48, it says this. But if that evil servant says in his heart, now I want you to underline this, my master is not coming for a long time and begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with drunkards Uh, The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect, I've underlined the word expect, and at an hour which he does not know. At an hour that he does not know. 
So you have the, the good and faithful, faithful and wise servant, and here you have the evil servant. So what's the difference? Well, I'm going to suggest that this, um, the, the good servant, he's been placed over some things. He has an administration. And so the, this evil servant, probably also the same thing. And uh, one of the things that we notice, probably most glaring, you want to write this down, the evil servant isn't actively watching for the master's return. It's not actively watching. Notice what he says there in verse 48. He says, if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time. So he's not watching. That's very different than the the wise and faithful servant. We also, I think we'd say, isn't a, this evil servant isn't about the master's business. Um, verse 49, it says uh, he, he begins to eat and drink with drunkards. He's not saying that he's having a glass of wine, he's having a drink. He's, uh, he's changed his lifestyle in such a way that he's clearly not about the, the business of his master is the idea. And then we also notice that the, the next thing about this evil servant is that he mistreats fellow servants. So verse 49 it says he begins to beat his fellow servants. And uh, so apparently tied to this how we treat others is tied to our understanding of when and how Jesus comes back. By the way, um, I'm going to be careful how I say this, but in church world there, is, um, there are different views of how the end times take place. You have here, this one here will beat his fellow servants. In church world, those uh, groups in church history who profess to be Christians, who would also burn people at the stake, boil in oil, all they say in the name of Christ, all have the viewpoint that all of these passages that we're looking at are all allegorical, they're mystical, you can't understand them. And, and so they don't really have an active watching for the Lord's return. It's not really part of their thinking. I don't know what you do with that, but I just put that out there and I don't want to go too far with that. So Verse 50. Now, verse 50, I've put on your outline from a literal translation. The Lord of that servant will arrive in a day when he doth not expect. Don't you love the word doth? Doth not expect. For those of you who are raised on the old King James, a little blast from the, fa- blast from the past. He does not expect, and I've underlined the word expect, in an hour and in an hour of which he doth not know, does not know. Now there's two things. One, the word know there, he does not know, is gnosko in the original language. It means to know, to be aware of, uh, to have knowledge, to perceive, to understand. And uh, the, the idea is that there's no knowledge of, of this, of, of the, the master's return. And it says, in a day that he does not expect. Now what that tells us here, and you want to write this down, that the evil servant doesn't know what to watch for as he has no knowledge of or expectation of the master's return. No, it's not even part of his thinking. Just, you know, we just kind of go, and one day it just kind of ends, and uh, don't really look at anything. It's just, it's not important to, to that one that Jesus would call the evil servant. So far so good? Verse 51, what does Jesus think about it? And we'll cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now how many of your Bibles say we'll cut him in two? Okay, that's fun. 
Uh, what about uh, cut him in pieces? How many of your Bibles say that? Okay. So it's times like this that when you, you, uh, you go into the Greek, you have to realize that we have phrases that we use that we all understand. They're just phrases. And so Jesus is using a phrase that they all understood. They did not cut servants in two or cut them to pieces when they messed up. Uh, it'd be, you know, we might say he, he's going to get his. A literal translation helps us with understanding this verse a little bit more. And what Jesus is saying is, uh, Young's literal, literal translation says, and will cut him off. That is to remove what he should be getting and his, and his portion with the hypocrites will appoint and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What it means here is when he realizes what he's missed out on and what he reward that he's lost, it's, it's going to be very sad. So there on your outline, you want to write this down, at the very least, this one who is the evil servant is going to exp- will experience consequences and loss of reward. Something's going to be greatly missing because he just didn't focus in on this. Now, you and I live in a day where it's very common in church world to, to say, when you talk about end times prophecy, don't focus in on that. It's not really important. There's so many other things that are so much more important. It all pans out in the end. It's all going to happen. Why are you focusing in on that? Just know that when somebody says that, that based upon what Jesus has said in this passage, that is not the opinion that Jesus has. Jesus says the faithful servant is the one who's watching, he's looking, he's sharing. The evil servant, Jesus' words, not mine. The evil servant is the one, he's not thinking about it, it's not part of his thinking, has no expectation, no knowledge of it, um, but he is also a servant of the same master. But Jesus says very different things about him. So this is where, as we wrap this up today, each of us has to decide where we are. Do we hold the opinion of Jesus? Or would we be honest and say, yeah, it's not really a big thing to me. If it's not, be aware, at least be aware that you have chosen a very different opinion than what Jesus is very emphatically saying. Does that make sense? Do you remember, we were back and we were talking about how Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. And there were a few hundred people there. And they were waiting on that particular day because the Bible said that the Messiah would come riding in in that way, in that place, on that day, riding on a donkey. And so they see Jesus come walking in just like the Bible said. And so they erupt and they begin to put palm branches down. You know the story. And they begin to yell, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Remember that story? So they looked at what the Bible said and they then responded aligned with what the Bible said. But then what does Jesus do? He goes over to this hill, cliff, and he looks down over Jerusalem. There's a few hundred people who are waiting for him on that day to arrive just as he said. But then he looks down over Jerusalem and there's a couple of million people. They're there, they're at temple, they're waiting for the Passover, they're doing the religious thing, and what does he say? He looks at them and says that your house 
has been left desolate today. Desolate. And he says, because, because you did not recognize the day or the time of your visitation. He held them responsible to look at their Bibles and take it very serious, but they didn't. And and the reason that they didn't, although it happened just as the Bible said, the reason that it didn't, they didn't, is because their religious leaders were saying things like, well, you know, you can't take those things so literally, you know, it's allegorical, you got to get the spiritual message. And so what took place is many were misled and they missed it and there were consequences. Here, what Jesus is saying at his next coming, he is expecting his faithful servants, his wise servants, to recognize, to be watching, and to be ready for his return. The evil servant, his term, not mine, will not be watching. It's not part of their thinking, it's whatever. Don't let that be you. Make sure that your opinion lines up with Jesus' opinion because he's very emphatic about that. Does that make sense? And with that, we're going to go ahead and close in prayer. Next week, we're going to jump into Matthew 25, starting with the parable of the ten virgins. Fascinating little story. But keep in mind that Jesus is answering three questions, ending with, what's the sign of your coming and the end of the age? We'll pick it up there next year, Let's, uh, next week. Let's go ahead and close. I'm going to go on vacation again. <laughs> Let's pray. pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, we want to be people who look at your word, not coming to you with our perspective, but saying, Lord, what do you want to say to us from your word, through your word, by your spirit? And Lord, we pray that we would be able to receive. And Lord, our desire is to adjust ourselves to the things that you say, to hold the opinion and the perspectives that you have, not to adjust you to fit our perspective, but to adjust us to fit yours. I pray, we pray, that you help us to be the people of God that you've called us to be in this time and place where you've called us to be, to be a light shining in what can be a very dark place. Help us to focus in on the things that you hold important. I pray, God, that you use us in this time as we see your next appearing, nearing, uh, and being very close, that you would help us to be effective reaching the people around us that you've placed in our path. Pray, God, that you keep us until we meet again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said, God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.